Welcome to the NCTM podcast, which this week comes from the eastern outskirts of London, close to the north bank of the River Thames. It's early March in 2020, and we're going to hear from the heads and a couple of teachers at two neighbouring secondary schools, both of which have been engaging with their local maths hub, that's London North East Maths Hub, in the Teaching for Mastery programme. We'll first hear an interview I did with the school's head teachers on why they've so enthusiastically supported their school's engagement in the local maths hub's work. A little later, we'll hear from one maths teacher from each school. They've been the main participants in all the school's work with the hub. First, though, the two heads. Here's how the conversation started. So, good morning. We are here at Riverside School in East London. We've got two head teachers with us. Andy Roberts, who's the head of this school here, Janice Davis, the head of a school a few miles away. Let's just find out a little bit about your schools. First of all, Andy, this school here, give us a little pen picture. How big is it? How many pupils? That sort of thing. So Riverside School was founded in 2012 when I was the founding head teacher. We were on a temporary site for five years, so we had a very slow, gradual intake for those first five years. Um, so we're not at capacity at the moment. We have approximately 1,100 students, and at full capacity we will be 1,800 students, including approximately 300 in the sixth form. We're on the fringe of East London. What's your catchment area like? What sort of demographic does the school serve? So the catchment area is very diverse, um, about 40% black African, 20% Bengali, 20% white British, and then a variation in the others. About 50% of them are pupil premium. So it's in the top 5% most disadvantaged wards in the UK. And we're a stone's throw from the River Thames, aren't we? We are Riverside School on the north bank of the River Thames, about half a kilometre away. Okay, Janice, your school, Sydney Russell School, also yeah. in the London borough of Barking and Dagenham, Dagenham right. Barking. Yeah. Which way round is it? Barking and Dagenham. Barking and Dagenham. Two or three miles away from where we're now sitting? Very close neighbours indeed. Okay, so give us a, a pen picture of your school. Uh, a large school, uh, 2,500, still not at capacity, that's 2,700. We're an all-through school, so it's four through to 13, uh, year 13. Intake, same as Andy's really, local children, high deprivation indicator, free school meals, very similar demographics. So bigger year groups at the moment, sort of two or three hundred in each year group? Uh, 300 from year 7 to 11, 360 in every year group. Okay. So the reason we're here is because both of your schools have got engaged uh, at varying levels for the past couple of years with the local maths hub and also, well, principally with teaching for mastery in maths. I'd just like to have your headline observations as head teachers as whether uh, allowing that to happen, if you like, has been worth it. Janice, first. Uh, a number of years ago, I'd say our Achilles here was maths, raising achievement in maths. Uh, we tried all sorts of programmes, studies, all sorts of strategies, but really making that big jump, it comes down to the classroom holding on to your teachers, training your teachers, and that was where the whole notion of the maths have math mastery came into its own. Um, and for us, it's what we needed to embed maths, to raise achievement in maths, engage in maths, and move the whole department forward. So it helped us keep teachers, raise achievement in maths, improve engagement in maths, helping at all the different strands. Okay, we'll unpick some of those details in a moment. Andy, your uh, general observation? So as a new school in 2012, trying to recruit maths teachers mm. of, any, of any type really was near on impossible. So we decided to set up a strategy whereby we took graduates from universities and, and trained our own. And therefore professional development became critically important to our success. 
if you want. So we have always been a school that values professional development very, very highly. And we go out there and look for opportunities of this quality to enable our math teachers to continually improve. And, and you know, the, the thinking um, in the math department throughout the school is that you know, no teacher is finished, everyone has capacity to improve, and, and that's, that's the baseline, really. So let's unpick some of the factors. The, the, the first factor is when you uh, engage in this sort of thing, inevitably class teachers who are used to teaching their classes will be out of school for two or three days a term possibly. Some heads would regard that as a difficult decision to make. So Janice, what, what's your attitude to letting teachers out of class, out of the building to do something else not directly related to their classes? I, I don't see that as a difficult call at all. Uh, I think the only way that we can keep teaching fresh, alive and of quality is to allow teachers headroom. Headroom where they can meet other mathematicians or other teachers. It's not only maths that I would apply this policy to. Um, it's where they can explore, where, where they can co-plan. So I think that's really, really important. If you're going to breathe life and relevancy into any subject, I don't see that as a decision at all. I think it's essential. Andy? All teachers at Riverside School have two hours additional release in order to develop professionally. That's, the, that's their own time. One of those hours is spent in department on subject-specific pedagogy timetabled each week. And then another hour is, is for coaching and, and locked-in um, observations and other support. Giving teachers space and time to develop professionally is incredibly expensive. Mm. So what's most important to us is the quality of that provision. So we're not careless with letting teachers do whatever course they want. There has to be a certain quality, and the NCETM meets that standard. How do you deal with it just on a practical basis uh, when some of your teachers are out of school? Is it, is it quite easy to get them replaced in, in classrooms? Is, just, is this just routine bread-and-butter stuff, uh, like when teachers are ill, for example? I mean, for, uh, for us, it's very much like that. We have a number of cover supervisors that we employ, uh, we have support within the departments who, who cover for each other and support each other's development. I mean, similar to what Andy was saying, if I take our maths department, they have additional non-contact time where they co-plan, where they dissect, where, where they look at the barriers. And I think that is what then makes a difference to what happens within that classroom. So actually, I think if you've got really quality teaching going on, a teacher not being there for, for a small period of time is not the issue. It's not more lessons that's not the answer it's quality it's quality of time uh, and I think you can therefore give teachers headroom and not impact on the classroom if what you deliver is quality so I would say our, our teachers are, are true professionals and mm. if you respect them as professionals and you give them time to develop they respect that so when Neil for example went to Shanghai or he's, he's out of school on training or supporting another school the maths department don't think twice about stepping in and and supporting and covering those lessons. So I, I would say it does not impact on the quality of, of learning in the school, but if anything makes the department more collaborative um, in the way that they support one another for the, for the mm. gain of, of you know, good education. And they know eventually their turn, their turn will come. Individual professional development versus whole department professional development, how do you view that? I accept there's a place for both. There are particular teachers who have particular needs. But generally, I think, when teachers are going out, it's for the general good. Um, and the whole notion of a teacher just going out and taking something themselves and it going no further, I don't think is cost-effective. 
So the beauty of working with a maths hub is what is going out comes back in and informs practice across the department. I'm mean, very similar to Andy, our maths teachers that then have the time to take that, dissect and move forward. I think that is really important. It's not individual, it has to be institutional. Ditto. So we have quite a strict criteria when we're selecting professional development for staff and it needs to be sustained and it needs to be collaborative and it needs to bring in external expertise where possible and it needs to be subject specific and evidence informed and this meets all of that criteria and in some instances it will develop the individual but there has to be a departmental gain as a consequence of that. But it's the, it's the structure and systems within the school that enable that. I think if one teacher is being developed and that has no impact on the rest of the department, there's probably something wrong there with your systems and structures. Mm. So you're a geography teacher. Correct. History Historian. teacher. To what extent, if at all, have you engaged in any detail with how maths teaching is being encouraged to change at all? Or have you wholly left it up to your professionals in the departments? As a historian, um, what, what I did initially was actually meet, work very, very closely with, with Manu, who links with the Maths Hub, who, who, who gave me an in-depth insight into maths and the problems and the blocks. Um, I also then met with the maths department, but again, looking at the vision, the understanding, what does it mean, the maths have, the master, what's it mean? Uh, the same, we did a presentation at SLT, we did a presentation at Governors. The nuts and bolts, no, but the vision and the theory, yes, there was a lot of engagement at that level because I'm making a commitment. Um, a time commitment, so at that level, yes. Okay, so you, it wasn't completely blind? But, uh, Absolutely no, not, no, no, because okay. it is a commitment and yeah. we've invested in it. Um, and you know, it's like Andy says, these maths teachers aren't there, they, we need to get that vision right and that training right. So I value subject-specific pedagogy very highly, and you know, I do not claim to be a, an expert maths teacher or an expert on maths pedagogy, but I do like to get beneath the surface of the pedagogy, because I think there's there's much that I see in maths at the moment that, that is transferable. It's not unique to maths. There are a lot of things that are, but it's not unique to maths, such as the, the, the why is as important as the how in maths, and other subjects can learn from that, or recognising the misconceptions and how we learn from those and how we avoid those. Again, that, that's applicable to all subjects. So some elements I find fascinating, just out of interest more than anything, but very much maths is you know the domain of the maths graduate and the maths trained teacher without doubt. What sort of impacts have you seen if another head who was maybe questioning, it wasn't quite as convinced as the two of you, uh, okay that's lesson change over time, we're going to keep rolling, we're in that's a school, it. we're in a school, lessons have just changed over. Um, if a head who was a bit sceptical pressurised the two of you and said, I'm, I'm still not convinced, tell me what you have seen going on around your school that convinces you that this has been worthwhile, either in lessons, either in the staff room, or, or in any way really. Where have you seen impact which has told you, yep, this has been worthwhile, this? That's easy for me. We had a disparate bus department. Um, we had programs of study, but very different approaches. Um, not even a team particularly. What you would see now if you came into Sydney Ross office of Homeless is you would see 
a set of maths teachers that operate as a department, operate as a team, that meet regularly um, and they discuss maths and they discuss the teaching of maths. Uh, you would see a department that has meeting times that they set up themselves after school to look at practice. What you'd also see, um, I'm very pleased to say, is improved outcomes and very encouragingly the number of our students that want to go on to do maths at A level um, because they actually enjoy maths in a good way. You would actually see physical data outcomes as well as that softer culture ethos and that would be very very clear that's the difference it will make and it has made for us that's convincing Andy so for us it's the conceptual thinking about maths and the approach to maths pedagogy without a doubt and so for example I think ultimately making young people mathematicians and love maths I think it's quite strongly influenced that it's always been a big aim of the school and that's why we're attracted to this particular project a simple example, I suppose, could be now we have students that will take and happily take multiple approaches to solving a problem, whereas historically we would have children who had got the answer correct and didn't understand the need then to, to look at it in a different way and do it again. And now the culture, so the culture around maths has changed, and I think that's a very healthy thing. And it's really nice here, and we used to hear a lot of, or I used to hear a lot of, I can't do maths. I can't do maths, I don't like maths. Don't hear that now. That's great. Has, has a knock-on been a bit more contact between local schools? Um, we've always worked closely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so less so probably, but, but wider afield, most definitely. You know, Neil went to, was fortunate enough to go to Shanghai for the two weeks to look at mastery there, which I, th I think made a really strong network of people that, that he brought back some great ideas. Yeah. And I know a man who works with a lot, but he works with Neil, for example, on this side, and goes out and works with other schools and brings back. So that there's a lot more linking, maybe at a different level. Yeah, those two gents you've just mentioned, yeah. one, one at each school, math specialists who, who themselves yeah. have engaged uh, with maths yeah, as well. I, I should probably say something, just thinking about some of the advantages of this programme for the school, I should say something about the primary schools that, that are increasingly using a mastery approach to teaching maths and, and doing it very, very well at the moment. Um, I think probably initially we, we were on a little bit of a back foot there. Um, in addition to that, our intake, it's, it's variable. There are, there, are, there are a massive range of gaps in the young people we get from you know, 14 different feeder primates. So the mastery approach just, just works superbly when, when you're in this particular context. I mean, for us, it came, our first sort of taste of it came through primary because we took in the math uh, mastery approach of primary and saw the results that made us think, well, if he's working in the primary, shouldn't we be looking at it at secondary? That's the advantage of being the all-through school. So that was the initial in for us. So those were the heads of Riverside and Sydney Russell schools in East London. I spoke to them both at the new Riverside building. So I took the opportunity also to speak to Neil Cocker, a maths teacher at the school who's on the Mastery Specialists programme working with the local maths hub. He's in his mid-twenties, in his fourth year of teaching, and this is his first school. I wondered about his first impressions of teaching for mastery. I think a common misconception is that teaching for mastery looks radically different to just good teaching. And I think providing your teaching with an aim to deliver a deep understanding, um, you're probably already hitting a lot of the key points that teaching for mastery works on. 
Um, and so I think based on that, I already had um, quite a good starting point, and I think that's the reason why um, I was accepted to become a smart speech specialist then, and that only just propelled it further. Next, I asked Neil how he'd gone about helping his colleagues in the Riverside Maths Department also introduce teaching for mastery approaches. Although I have been out in the classroom on residentials and working with the NCTM to develop my own practice, uh, spreading that towards the department is effectively as if the rest of my department has been on the same training course, um, where I'm just basically one step ahead. Um, so yeah, they've definitely um, all taken to it well, and I think having the opportunity to share it has made it even more beneficial, because while it would be nice to develop my own practice, um, I've been able to develop the practice of myself and the rest of my department. How have you done it? Give us an example of what has actually happened in this school, in the department, during the school day or after the school day, which has enabled you to share. Well, firstly, we have our CPD hour every week. So every week the maths department is together to work on our own teaching and it's very math specific. So that was the perfect opportunity to start getting everyone talking about the teaching for mastery. But I think a key point was that while I said it is similar to teaching, it is very much more refined. This, this type of maths teaching is just a, a very refined approach. So I think um, that a, a, po a possible um, pitfall could be to go in and just try to um, give all the information that I received at the residentials, for example, um, to the department and expect them to implement it. And I think what's worked really well for us is that we, I, I knew what my department's strengths were, I knew what they were currently working on, um, and so I could pick the elements of teaching for mastery and the things I developed which I knew the department were already halfway there and we could just kind of build on what we already knew. So the department never felt like we were doing anything different. They just felt like we were, they were enhancing their current practice, um, which means there wasn't necessarily any sort of buy-in. The, the teachers probably never felt like, okay, now we're starting to do something different. They just felt like, well, now we're looking at something we're currently doing and we've seen now how we can improve that. And I think any teacher would be motivated to do that. So we didn't have any issues with buy-in. Everyone was fully engaged from the beginning. In 2019-20, Neil's third year on the Mastery Specialist programme, he's starting to work with other local schools, taking their first steps along the mastery path. How has he found that experience, I wondered, given that his own teaching experience is relatively limited? There's quite a lot of variety in schools in England, and um, I see this especially because I've only ever worked in one school, which is I've always just known the Riverside way, as it were. Um, but I think in your day-to-day -day lives, because it's quite a demanding job, teachers at a certain school um, are sort of stuck in a bubble of what their school does. And I think just having that opportunity to um, speak to someone who's working towards a similar vision at a different school, figuring out what challenges they had and how they overcame it, do you have any similar challenges, um, did anything they implement uh, seem appropriate to what you want to implement, those kind of discussions I think are extremely beneficial. Um, because here at Riverside we have kind of had our own unique approach to it with the help of what the NCTM has to offer in terms of professional development um, and so I think what we're doing is really working with other schools to see can we kind of uh, inform them to be able to make similar decisions for their school because it has to be personalised it's not just a one programme fits all But it sounds like what you've been saying this has been a learning experience for you even though you are sort of in a lead role here working with this other school yes. nevertheless it sounds like you've learned almost as much as them from the experience Yeah I definitely would say so I think um, yeah I would say I probably have learned the same if not more from this experience than uh, they are at the moment and I think um, just having a look at what other schools are facing in terms of challenges in, in a way it's kind of prepping me for if we ever face similar challenges in the future I'm having to sort of look at things from a different perspective. 
Um, so it's been really beneficial for both of us, I think. Also in on this conversation was Emmanuel Nanor, maths teacher at Sydney Russell School, who's been teaching maths for 13 years after coming to the UK from Ghana in his early 20s. He's been involved with a maths hub wearing several hats for three or four years and is now also on the Mastery Specialist programme. I asked both teachers to give me examples from what they see happening in their classrooms that convince them that teaching for mastery is working. Emmanuel first. person I'll give you is working with negative, performing the four rules of operation with negative numbers. Uh, what do you call it? Add plus, 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 make a plus. Or negative, negative, make a positive. Why? And that was a challenge because they've been taught like that from the primary, but now they understand that the first, uh, the first negative sign is an operation. The second one is a direction. I'm changing direction. So that misconception has been addressed. The next one is Pythagoras' theorem. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Then when you flip it around, is it still A squared plus B squared equals C squared? So now what we are beginning to hear at our key state for lessons now is the square, the sum of the square of the two shutter sides equals to the square of the hypotenuse. Neil, have you got one or two? Yeah, I think uh, one of the big changes that I've seen is that students are starting to become much more aware of the connections within maths, which I think traditionally has been something that those who have a good grasp of maths early on, they kind of pick up on the connections. They see that fractions and percentages are very totally uh, closely linked. Um, but I think now we're sort of designing lessons in a way that every student is made to realize, come to the same realizations themselves. Um, so students have a much more connected understanding of maths, which makes problem solving much more easier for them. Um, and the second thing is that uh, when we get students, um, for example, joining year, in year seven, um, we, we often um, sense this excitement that they've got the answer. And at the start, they're very surprised when we sort of say, okay, um, you have got the answer, but what I'm really interested in is how else could we get that answer? And I, I, they're always a bit comfortable at the start, um, but then they're very, yeah, uncomfortable, and they very quickly get used to it. And it's now got to the point where when the first student gives an answer, that's not the end of that question, and students are motivated now to think, actually, I think I can think of a better way, or even a different way, um, by using different principles to arrive at that same answer. And I think that is a much more mathematical discussion, which students are happy to have. That was Neil Cocker from Riverside School in Barking and Emmanuel Nanor from Sydney Russell in nearby Dagenham. Thanks to both teachers and their heads for giving us an insight into their work with Teaching for Mastery and the Maths Hubs programme. If you've liked what you've heard or are just interested maybe, why not get in touch with your local Maths Hub to find out how you and your school might get involved. Thanks very much for listening to the podcast and we'll be back with another NCTM podcast soon.